I've entitled this message, No Exceptions. Now we're getting ready to look at John chapter 3, and we're going to spend some time in this very unique chapter uh, where the Lord talks about being born again and being born from above. And this is no new doctrine. It was taught in the Old Testament clearly in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah. There are passages that teach the precise same thing, but there's no chapter like this in the other Gospels. This glorious chapter of John chapter 3. Um, but I just couldn't get back past the word except. Except. No exceptions. That's what I've entitled this message and we're going to look where this word is used in the Old Testament and I believe that this will be uh, a gospel message. No exceptions. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. Uh, it's unclear if he could only get there at night or if he was ashamed to be identified with Christ during the day. Perhaps his cronies would look down on him and he came at night. We don't know. But he did come by night. And it's pointed out whenever Nicodemus is spoken of again, he's always referred to as the one who came to Jesus by night. Well, he came to the Lord by night. And he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know this. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now we're giving you some affirmation. We know that you're a teacher come from God. The Lord says, essentially, Nicodemus, you know nothing. He comes telling the Lord what he knew. And look at our words, our Lord's words to this man. Jesus answered and said, verily, verily. Now, when the Lord says that, I mean, every word is the word of God. But when he says truly, truly, amen, amen, so be it, so be it. We ought to listen doubly carefully. I love it when he says, I say unto you. I say unto you. You've heard it been said of them of old, I say unto you, I am the absolute authority. Amen. Don't you love the way the Lord speaks? <clears throat> Except a man be born again or born from above, he cannot see, he cannot understand he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. It's utterly 
beyond him, except he be born from above. You can just as soon expect a baboon to understand calculus as you can expect a natural man to understand, see, or perceive the kingdom of God. It is beyond him. And Nicodemus, the only way you can understand, the only way you can see, the only way you can perceive the kingdom of God is if you're born, birthed, given life from above. Nicodemus, you must be born again. No exceptions. A man cannot see the kingdom of God except he be birthed. God's going to have to reach down and give you divine life. Or you cannot possibly understand or see or perceive the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul said the natural man, that's what you and I are by nature, the way we're born into this world. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither indeed can he know them. They're foolishness unto him. Foolishness. Doesn't make sense. Neither indeed can he know him. He doesn't have the ability to know them because they're spiritually discerned. I have to have a spirit. I have to have a new spirit. You know, when Adam died in the garden, he didn't die physically, but he died spiritually, and he no longer had a spirit. And unless I'm given the spirit of God, a divine nature, being born from above, I cannot possibly understand the things of God, the things of the kingdom of God. There are no exceptions to that rule. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, the Lord says, you can turn there if you want, but I've got these written down. I'm going to read them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, for I say unto you, except your righteousness. Now don't miss that. Except your righteousness. Your personal righteousness. Except your righteousness exceed, surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. There are no exceptions to that rule. Under no circumstance will you enter the kingdom of heaven unless the righteousness of Jesus Christ is your personal righteousness. Do you hear that? There is only one righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And except his righteousness is your personal righteousness under no circumstances, there's no exceptions, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless his righteousness is your personal righteousness. Do you believe that his righteousness is the only righteousness there is? You know, I believe that with all my heart. The best thing that can be said about my righteousness or your righteousness or the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is this. Our righteousnesses are as Filthy rags. That's the testimony of God's word. 
except your righteousness exceeds, surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now somebody says, how can, how can his righteousness be my righteousness? How can it actually be my personal righteousness? Well, remember when he said to John the Baptist, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness? When Jesus Christ kept the law, everybody he represented kept the law. And just as truly as he took my sins and they became his own, his righteousness becomes mine so that I have the very righteousness of Jesus Christ as my personal righteousness before God. You know, I have such confidence in his righteousness. It's mine. It's mine. Oh, what a joy to be able to say that. You know, the man in the parable of the wedding feast who didn't have on the wedding garment, did they make an exception, an exception for him? No. Cast him out, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. There's only one righteousness that God will accept. I hope you believe that. I hope I believe it. There's only one righteousness God accepts. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No exceptions. Matthew 18, verse 3. The Lord says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. Oh, may God give me grace to do that. To humble myself as this little child. The same is great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me give you some background about what was going on. The disciples came up to the Lord and said, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? As a matter of fact, you can find other places where they were arguing over which of them was the greatest. Actually, right after they took the first Lord's table, there was an argument concerning which of them should be the greatest. Now here we have who's greatest. Now in order to ascertain who the greatest is, you're going to have to have some kind of measuring stick. What's the measure? Well, this one understands more. This one's more holy. This one uh, is less sinful. This one does more. This one's more useful. This one's more zealous. This one is used by God more. Just some, There's some difference that we can make. That's what's going to make us greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, we want to be great. We want to be used by God. We want, to, we want to serve him. We want to... And the Lord looked at his disciples... And he said, y'all don't need to worry about even being in the kingdom of heaven if you go on to that. Except you be converted. Turn from this state of arrogancy and pride and self-righteousness. Except you be converted, turned. You won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. No exceptions to the rule. Now, I think this gives us some idea of what this means. Um, this is what I thought about. Peter is in Antioch. He's having fellowship with the Gentile believers. Certain from James come, Jewish believers. 
Peter gets a little bit nervous. He knew that they would be judging him for sitting at that table. Without saying a word, he got up, walked across the room, and sat down with the Jewish brethren. He made a difference. The Jews, now I know we're all saved by grace, but somehow you're a little bit more pleasing to God by being at this table. And Paul got up and publicly reprimanded him. Now that, that is something. And he said he did this that the truth of the gospel might remain. To seek to be different, greater. I have more understanding. I got a greater doctoral knowledge. I, I've got, no, the only way to be great in the kingdom of heaven is humility. Humble yourself. And when you've hit the bottom, take it a little further down and you'll be closer to the truth. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, these are the words of the Lord, and he says, except those days be shortened. There's that word, except. Except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake. Now, what's the Lord saying? He's saying the only people that will be saved are the elect. Now, those are the Lord's words, not mine. The Lord said this. The only people that would be saved are the elect. That's just the truth. But let me remind you. Election does not prevent people from being saved who would have otherwise been saved. God's electing grace brings people into glory who would most certainly have otherwise been damned. That's what God's grace does. Thank God for electing grace. But our Lord doesn't make any uh, bones about this. Only the elect will be saved. Somebody says, you shouldn't speak like that. Well, the Lord did. And that's not going to discourage any sinner from coming into his presence. As far as that goes, my job is not to figure out whether or not I'm the elect. I'm to look to Christ right now because he commands me to. Well, are, are you elect? Doesn't matter. If I look, if I call on his name, I'll be saved. He promises that. But thank God, there's some that will be saved. And the Lord doesn't try to hide that in any way, the way uh, preachers do. Who's going to be saved? The elect. Matthew 26, 42. This is the Lord praying in Gethsemane's garden. He says, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it. Thy will be done. Now the Lord looked at that cup that was brought before him in Gethsemane's garden and it was the cup of our sins. My sin was lifted off me and put in that cup. The cup that the Lord was to drink. 
He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And he looked at that cup and the scripture says he sweat great drops of blood knowing the content of that cup and knowing he was going to be taking that which he hated, which his father hated, into his own body as the sinner's substitute. We sing that song, he took my sins and my sorrows. And when he drank that cup, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Now he says, if this cup can't pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he drank the content of that cup. And you know what? Passed away. Everything he drank passed away. It was gone. Separated. It's all passed away. Isn't that wonderful? Luke chapter 13. Now this is a a glorious passage of scripture. I'm just going to, to um, uh, quote verse 5 where he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Um, let me give the setting. The Lord was preaching to some people and he talked about two current events that took place. He talked about what took place when the, a tower of Siloam caved in and 18 people died. Maybe it happened that very week. And he said, do you think that those people were sinners above other people that the Lord brought this down on them? I guarantee you some of them did. That's the way we naturally think. Well, what'd they do? What'd they do that they're being punished like this? And then he talked about another event of some people who were offering sacrifice. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? To offer up a sacrifice, according to the Old Testament scriptures, they offered a sacrifice and Herod had these people put to death. And their blood was mingled with the sacrificial blood. Somebody say, they must have really been evil to have something like that take place. You know what the Lord said? He said, do you think that they're sinners above other sinners? No. I say to you, except you repent you will likewise perish now don't ever look at someone and think they must have really done something bad I think of uh, the disciples in John chapter 9 when they saw that blind man they said Lord who sinned uh, this man or his parents that he's born blind talk about a dumb question I mean and it's a question we would ask but never look at things that way except you repent. I better learn what it means to repent, and I better repent. <laughs> except you repent. Repentance is a continual state of being. It's not a one-time act. It's a continual state 
of being. Except you repent, except you change your mind. You know, when you're reading Isaiah 55, I love that passage of scripture where he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, is ever truth uh, told more clearly? Neither are my, my ways your ways. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. John chapter 3, verse 27. Here's the next one. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. Now, there's no exceptions to that. No exceptions. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. Why? Even the ability to receive is the gift of his grace. You wouldn't receive, I wouldn't receive his bounteous grace. Does he not give me the grace to receive it? Everything we receive is his gift. The gift of righteousness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of justification, the gift of redemption, the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of perseverance, the gift of loving him, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance. Everything that we have is his gift. And a man can receive nothing except it be divinely given him from above. I know this right now. The only reason I believe is because he gave me that faith. I believe. Nobody's believing for me. I believe. I do believe the gospel. And the reason I do is it was given me as his gift what who makes you to differ from another and what do you have that you did not receive john no exceptions to that is there man can receive nothing nothing except it be given him from above john chapter 6 verse 44 listen to this one no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. No exceptions. The only way a man will come to Christ is through the drawing grace of the Father. Now that word draw, it actually means, listen to this word, drag. Do not rich men draw you before the judgment seats, James says. That doesn't mean they gently bring them along. No, they drag you before the judgment seat. It means drag, and it means you're drawn irresistibly, invincibly. You must have him. You're drawn. Draw us, and we'll run after thee, the Shulamite said. Uh, yes, I, I want to be dragged with my full consent, don't you? <laughs> but no man can. Come to me, except the Father which has sent me draw him. No exceptions to the rule. John chapter 6, verse 52. Except you eat, there's that word, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now think about what he says. Except you eat 
We all know what it is to eat and drink, don't we? We live by eating and drinking. Uh, I've said this before. I've heard people talk about being, being so busy that they forgot to eat. It's never happened to me once. Um, when my stomach is hungry, I know it. Well, um, I'm hungry. And eating and drinking is the way we live, isn't it? Eating and drinking. We must eat. We must drink. Now, this is actually where the uh, Catholic doctrine of uh, transubstantiation comes from. That when you take the wafer and drink the wine, it becomes literally the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what that is? Well, number one, if it were true, it would be cannibalism. And number two, that's blasphemous. It's just not so. But I'll tell you this. The gospel is my meat and drink. We preach Christ crucified. That's mealtime for me. We preach Christ crucified. This is where I hear the Lord's voice. We preach Christ crucified. I must eat and drink his broken body and his shed blood. That's the only thing that gives me hope. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what this, this represents. At all times, my only acceptance before God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a meal. I, that's the only thing that I find satisfaction in. Oh, that satisfies my hunger to know I'm complete in Christ and nothing else is needed. What a meal. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John chapter 12, verse 24. Except a corn of wheat. There's the word. No exceptions to this. The only thing that feeds me is the gospel. And except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, except the Lord die. If he went back to heaven, you know who wouldn't be there? Me and you. He'd be there all alone. Oh, the angels would be there. He'd be in the presence of his father. But me and you wouldn't be there. If the Lord kept the law perfectly and gave the perfect example for all of us and went back to heaven, what good would it do us? Absolutely none. But if he die, if he die, he brings forth much fruit. Oh, the fruit of the death of Jesus Christ Every single person he died for is brought into the very presence of God and saved because their sins have been put away. It had to be his death. Oh, the precious blood of Christ that makes me acceptable and well-pleasing to God where God can look on me. The Lord Jesus can look on me and say, there's no spot in me. Thou art all fair, my love. There's no spot in thee. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his life. That's the fruit of his death. Now, if he 
If he doesn't die, he's going to abide alone. But if he die, he brings forth much fruit. John chapter 15, verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. Now you take any house plant you have in your house, think of your favorite one, you cut off a branch, what's going to happen? It's going to wither and it's going to die. And there is no hope whatsoever of it living. Only as it abides in the vine. I love to think of the Lord using this illustration to teach us of the closeness of union with himself. The vine and the branches, the stems that go through the vine are the same stems that go through the branches and there's no connecting point. How glorious. The, he's telling us of his union with himself and he said you cannot bear fruit. And don't you want to bear fruit? I, I want to be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If I'm in the vine, I bear the fruit. If I'm not in the vine, there is no fruit. No exceptions. John chapter 19, verse 11. The Lord had been silent before Pilate. And Pilate was amazed. He didn't try to defend himself. And I know why he didn't try to defend himself. Because he knew he was guilty. That's an awesome thing to think about. The Lord taking my guilt. And he wasn't, he wasn't going to defend himself because he knew before God he was guilty. And he remained silent, and all of a sudden, Pilate said to the Lord, Speakest thou not to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? The Lord couldn't let that one go. He said, You could have no power at all over me except it be given thee from above you know the Lord said through David power belongeth to the Lord to think of some man thirsting for power that's ridiculous power belongeth unto the Lord People think, well, I'm a powerful person. I'm an influential person. I've done this. I've done that. You have no power. None. Power belongeth unto the Lord. Now, the powers that be are ordained of God. He's put them in place. But there's one power, the Lord. And when the Lord looks at Pilate saying to him, don't you know I have power over you? I've got power to release you. I've got power to let you go. Pilate, the only reason you're speaking right now is because of my will. And you are only doing my will. You're my pawn in my hand doing exactly what I determined for you to do. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 31, we read of uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, he's in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. He's reading Isaiah 53. What a chapter. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. He was, he was reading that chapter. He's, le he's leaving Jerusalem. He'd come there for the feast, and he wanted to know God. He wanted to worship God. And he was leaving knowing he hadn't. He was empty. He was frustrated. But he was doing a good, you know, he was doing a good thing. He was reading the Bible. <laughs> Can't go wrong reading the Bible, can you? He was reading Isaiah 53. And the Lord moved Philip to come up to him. And he watches that man reading Isaiah 53. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Of course I do. Well, here's what I think. I, this, this, many of us, I, I look at me, if he would have asked me, here's what it means, here's what it means, I, I know, you know how this Ethiopian eunuch answered, how can I, except some man should guide me. Now, that's the Lord's way. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And this whole, did he end up believing? Oh, he gives that wonderful confession at the end. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But don't you love his humility when he was asked, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Except some man should guide me. And this, Romans chapter 9, verse 24, Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this, Romans 9, 24. Except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been a Sodom. And like unto Gomorrah. Now you take that bunch in Sodom and Gomorrah that the Lord rained fire and brimstone down on. Isaiah said, except the Lord had left us a seed, we'd been just like them. Christ is the seed of God. His word is the seed of God. The new birth is the seed of God. Except God had given us this seed, we'd be just like them. And we would perish just like them. Except the Lord of Sabbath that left us a seed. And then in Romans chapter 10 verse 15, Paul asks this very interesting question. How can they preach? Except they be sent. How can they preach? except they'd be sent. They can't. Not true, not true preaching. 
How can they preach except they be sent? Sent of God. You know what a man's credentials is? Is if he's a true preacher? God sent him. That's it. Or did you go to seminary? If I'm a true preacher, if any man's a true preacher, it's because God sent him for that purpose, to preach his gospel. And we can know if they're sent by opening up this word and seeing if they're preaching what the word declares. How should they preach except they be sent? No exceptions to that rule. 1 Corinthians, I've got two more. 1 Corinthians 14, 7 and 8. And even things without life-giving sound, whether they be pipe or harp, except they give a distinction of the sound. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it known, be known what is spoken? Now, in this thing of preaching, Paul says you better give a distinction of the sounds. It better be clear and easy to understand. This is easy to understand. The Bible is the inspired word of God. It's the only source of information. We don't go to the Bible to prove what we believe. We go to the Bible to bow down to what God says in his word. God is God. He really is sovereign. He really is in control of everybody and everything. We give a distinction of sounds. Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. He worked out a perfect righteousness. He shed his blood to put away the sins of God's elect. He's successful. Now, there's nothing hard to understand about that. Somebody says, that's deep. No, that's not deep. It's so. It's just true. Um, men are dead in sins, can't save themselves. God's grace saves. God's people persevere all the way to the end. A distinction of sounds, a distinct gospel. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to this last one. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. There must be a distinction of sounds. No exceptions to that God never uses anything else. He doesn't use watered-down preaching. Why should he? He's God. Um, I love saying this. I don't know whether this uh, 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 works here, but I think it does. God doesn't negotiate with sinners. He doesn't try to find, well, this one's not working, so I'll, I'll try it. No. God's going to make sure the, the preaching of the gospel is distinctly brought out. Now, here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, forgot to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is the last one. And I think it kind of uh, summarizes all the rest. Verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. No shortcuts. Now, every one of these accepts 
are no exceptions. And if I make an exception, I'm not striving lawfully. And nothing will be accomplished through that. Except a man strive lawfully. He's not crowned. Now, there's an exception never rule. No, there's not. No, there's not. No exceptions to the rule of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for the gospel of your glory, the gospel of your grace. Lord, how we thank you that there are no exceptions because that gives us hope because if there would be exceptions, we would be the ones who would not be saved. But how we thank you for the strong power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our fellowship in the gospel. We thank you that you sent your son to be our savior. And Lord, we trust him. Lord, we sang, tis so sweet to trust him. And Lord, indeed it is. Give us the grace to trust him more. Bless this word for Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand and close with hymn number 474, Only a Sinner. <clears throat> 474.